This is the last week of this series this morning, if you have been with us. If you are here for the first time, this is part six of our ongoing series, uh, Conversations on the Front Porch, the essential relationships of our lives. And um, I have enjoyed the series. I'm going to miss the rocking chair. Um, I've gotten used to this, but, but I'm kind of glad because You guys just get ornery and ornery as they go. <laughs> so I saw this. I thought this was Jenny. Jenny has made the drinks. This is not Jenny. It's Jenny's fault. It, we're throwing her under the bus? Is that what we're doing? And I saw this, and at first I thought it was the glass. I, I, I don't know how well you can see this from back there, but it's orange, it's red, and it's green, as is my glass. <laughs> the problem is... It's jello. <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see what this looks like by the third service. So, um, I guess if I get a spoon, I can eat it afterward. Um, so, but it looks pretty. So, you guys will have to find new ways to mess with me after this week. Um, what's that? Yeah, yeah, really. Um, we're, Wednesday, as you saw, and I, I briefly mentioned, is Ash Wednesday. And we'll be, as we have since I've been your pastor, be celebrating uh, the imposition of the ashes, the celebration of Ash Wednesday, um, Wednesday night at 7 o'clock with a worship service here that begins for us the season of Lent. And invite you to, to be a part of that worship service. And then, just to give you a preview, if, and if you read the newsletter, I, m- I mentioned this in the newsletter, next week we will start a new series called We Believe. And for six weeks we're going to look at some of the foundational statements of faith that are found in the Apostles' Creed and also the Nicene Creed. And we're going to look at some of those statements that we very often profess in our worship service and in in this worship service. So that's going to be our Lenten series. It's going to carry us straight into Easter, which uh, is quickly, quickly approaching, which we look forward to and is a a wonderful time in in the life of the church. So I want to give you some kind of heads up for that. But but today we, we finish our series, Conversations on the Front Porch, with a look at Deborah. Most specifically, the Deborahs in our life, using this Old Testament figure and, and significant leader as, as a model for us. And uh, I, I'll, I'll confess to you, I kind of did a, a shift about a week and a half ago in this final sermon series because I realized, which I don't know why I wasn't paying attention before, but we had not spoken of any of the significant female characters both in the Old and New Testament. And there are many of them, Ruth and Esther and the Marys, uh, Rahab, women that played significant and important roles in the life of the community, both of Israel and in the church, and are significant parts of, the, of, the, of our story and the story of faith. And, and I thought it was important for us to, to lift some of them as well. And, and Deborah is one that I remember learning about as a kid in those storybook readers that I've referenced before that, that I had as a child that gave me such wonderful introductions to the, the stories of our faith. And so we're going we're gonna to look at Deborah this morning and her role. And, and Deborah, 
plays a role. I, I was watching one of the um, Batman movies the other day. Just had a little downtime and, you know, kind of channel surfing as, as I'm apt to do. And, and came upon one of the, the more recent of, of the Batman movies. And, and as I'm watching it, I'm realizing that there's a common uh, narrative technique that a lot of superhero movies use, if you follow those, but not just those, but, but, but I certainly catch it in those kind of movies. And that is that, that there's a, a secondary character that's kind of a secondary hero. I mean, obviously, comic book movies and, and superhero movies focus on those, those primary um, protagonists. Kathy, is that the right word I'm looking for? Okay, thank you. When you have an English teacher behind you, you better get it right. So uh, the protagonist, but there's usually a secondary protagonist. And very often, in part of the story, this, this character who's trying to do the right thing and, and fighting for justice and all those things that we celebrate, things get bad. They start taking a beating. Uh, the tide's turning. They're not doing well. It looks like their demise is imminent. And then in steps the hero who steps in to, to kind of save the day. But, but something happens very often when Batman or Superman or, or Spider-Man or whoever you want to lift up steps in, and that is they not only save the day by their own power and, and abilities, but they bolster others. They strengthen others. All of a sudden, those who were kind of feeling beaten down re-engage the fight. They get kind of a strength from knowing that they have their back covered by somebody who's as powerful and, and able as whoever the hero happens to be. That idea of having somebody that can step up, that, that covers our back, that, that gives us courage and allows us to continue to engage the fight and the opportunities that God gives us, that's what Deborahs do for us because that's who Deborah is. That's the role that she played in the, the narrative of, of the people of Israel, which we're going to look at for just a moment. But those people that, that are part of our lives, that their presence strengthens us, gives us courage, and gives us some, some level of protection. Those are our Deborahs, and we need a few Deborahs in our life. So we turn for the story of Deborah to Judges chapter 4. Her story is found in... Judges 4, and then in, in Judges 5 is the, the poem of, of Deborah, which is, is beautifully written. We're not going to look at that specifically this morning, but I, I challenge you to read it. It's one of the oldest sections of the Hebrew Scriptures that we have. Um, but Deborah was one of the, the judges of Israel. There's a, there's a repetitive pattern in this part of Israel's history. Uh, to kind of set you a very, very brief timeline, we go back before this period is, is when Moses had delivered the Israelites out of their bondage in Egypt, out of slavery. And after Moses died, Joshua steps up and leads the people into the promised land. And they settle and, and kind of conquer the promised land. They take this inheritance that God had promised. But there were many tribes of Israel, if you remember, and what starts to happen is these tribes start to kind of become self-governing. And there's, there's no real unity among the people. There's no leader that emerges immediately after Joshua to continue to keep the people united. 
And one of the phrases that you find over and over in Judges is the very first phrase that we read in Judges chapter 4, which is this. It says, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now, if you went and, and read chapter 3 and chapter 2 and then go on to chapter 6 and chapter 9 and repeatedly in Judges, you will read that line. Again, the people did evil in the sight of the Lord. It becomes this, this cyclical pattern in which because of their, their enemies that were around them and because of their unfaithfulness, they constantly are kind of dealing with persecution. They're being taken over. They're being put under the thumb of somebody else. And eventually they cry out to God. And over and over, God sends a deliverer to lead them out of their oppression. And they remain faithful as long as they remember their deliverance, but eventually their memory gets a little fuzzy, and they fall back into their old ways, their old habits, their unfaithful practices, and it starts all over again. And, you know, if you read it from a distance, you think, they're just not that bright. Over and over, it's the same pattern. But if we're really honest and we look at our own lives, you know, I wonder how smart we'd look to others reading in our narratives and, and our patterns of, of faithfulness and, and unfaithfulness. Well, that, that's what's happening here. So, so we begin, and, and again, I'm going to read that first line again. This is Judges chapter 4. Again, the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now that Ehud was dead, so the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of the army, was based in Hereset Hagayim, because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. So again, this is what's happened. They have fallen under the impression of a foreign aggressor. And they're being made to suffer for it. And so they finally, and 20 years, 20 years this happens, and then they cry out to God. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Labadoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinom, from Kadesh in Nephtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go take with you ten thousand men of Nephtali and Zebulun, and lead them up to Mount Tabar. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give them into your hands. Now here's the key verse. Barak said to her, If you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly I will go, said Deborah. But because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours. For the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. There Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 men went up under his command. Deborah also went up with him. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, your word. Speak to us through it in these moments and continue to challenge us in our lives, in our relationships, in our faithfulness as we grow into the very likeness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For it is in his name we pray. 
Amen. We need Deborah's. Now, Deborah, and I failed to mention at the, the beginning, kind of introducing her, Deborah is unique in the history of, of Israel because she is one of only three who played the role of a judge, or was in the role, when I say, of a judge, of a prophet, and a military leader. Those are the three roles that Deborah filled or fulfilled for the people of Israel during her life. The only other two to hold that responsibility was Moses, before Deborah, and Samuel, that will come after Deborah. So she is powerfully and wonderfully significant in the history of the people, and her role was essential, certainly in this chapter of their lives, in this repetitive pattern of disobedience and deliverance. She was an instrument of, of God's deliverance. And her presence gave strength and protection and courage to Barak, the, the commander of the military. We, we need Deborah's. We need Deborah's in our lives. And this is why we need Deborah's. Because there are mean people in the world. There are, there are mean people. There are people out there who want nothing better than to see you fall flat and are ready to pounce the moment you do. There are nothing better, people out there have nothing better to do than to find fault and try to tear you down. I know that's incredibly pessimistic, and that sounds... And, and I'm not saying that they're an abundance of those people. I'm not saying they're the majority of people, but they're there. And they, they, I think we'd have to be really naive to not think those people are lurking. And, and not always lurking. I know one of the hardest lessons that I've had to try to, to teach Ryan and Cassidy as their father... One of the most painful lessons I've had is that they have to learn how to deal with mean people. I can remember very, very vividly the first time I observed Ryan as a little guy being picked on. And that was a really hard thing for a father to see. And, and I can remember him being stung by that and, and, and the conversations we've had with both the kids over the years that have encouraged them not to return that kind of behavior not to meet meanness with meanness, but also to try to process it in a way that is healthy because it's never not going to be a reality. It's never going to be time. And so you try to teach them that without creating jaded kids who, who look skeptically and, and suspiciously upon the entire world, you know, to still see the best in people, but to, to process in a healthy way the reality that there are just people out there who are just wanting to see us fall, wanting to see us fail, wanting to take their shots at us. The harder truth is to recognize some of those people are really close to us. That some of the people that we will experience some of the greatest hurts from, the, the most powerful stabs in the back from, are people that are close to us. Now, when I was preparing for this sermon and I kind of read those thoughts, I thought, I, I, the, the Len Sweet in his book, he says that some of the people that will look to do you the most harm are some of the people that are in your inner circle of friends and relationships. 
And I thought, ah, no, that's just, that's too harsh. That's too critical. That's too um, negative a, a, a worldview. Then he said this in his book that really challenged me. He says, after all, are you any better than Jesus? Remember who betrayed Jesus? Judas did. Judas, one of the inner circle. Remember who abandoned Jesus? Peter and James and John. The inner circle. Now they came back. Peter, James, and John did and, and the others. But Jesus still felt the sting of their abandonment and, and of their betrayal. And sometimes we're going to have those moments we're going to feel that sting. I will tell you some of the greatest wounds I've suffered in ministry have come from those who I thought were allies. Some of the greatest attacks that I've suffered in life have come from those who were close to me. So it's not just that we need those Debras in our lives to protect us from, from those who are out there, but sometimes it's, it's those who are, who are in here. Because if we seek to live faithfully according to the way of Christ, if we seek to follow faithfully and do the, the will of God and, and engage in the work of God, which is to the good of others, you will take some shots for it. And sometimes those shots fired will be enemies, and sometimes they will be allies or those who you thought were allies. I, I remember, you know, uh, Tom Farmer, who I, I worked with, as his associate when I came into ministry, um, I, I remember him saying when, over and over, when we would meet and talk about what the Lord was moving, how the Lord was moving in the life of the church, he said, be ready. He said, every time the Holy Spirit starts to move, you're going to start paying a price for it. You're going to start feeling some of the, the attacks of the adversary, of the enemy, of Satan, that will want to thwart what God is doing. He said, just be ready. And sometimes those are going to come from inside the church. Uh, there was another pastor I remember talking to years ago. He was serving a church that was notoriously um, difficult on their pastors and, and notoriously um, difficult to get engaged in, in ministry. And was, it was dying. And I remember talking to him and I said, and I'll just call him Jim for, the, for this moment. But I said, Jim, I said, how are, how are things going? And he said, Chris, we're getting close. He said, I'm only two or three funerals away from turning this church around. Now, now we laugh at that. We laugh at that and we think, oh, God, he wasn't kidding. I mean, what he was saying was there's just a few folks that if, and not that he was wishing them to die, but if they weren't here, we'd be, we'd be more positioned to move forward in faith. And, and that I remember, you know, again, and this was that same time as that, that young pastor thinking, wow, you know, the... The challenges come sometimes from the inside, from those who are, who are closer to us. That's why we need Debra's. And that's just not a ministry reality. That's a life reality. There are some callings and some ways that we uh, engage in life that we might be more susceptible to some of that, to some of those criticisms and some of those attacks. Ministry, maybe one politics is one. Um, arts, if you're in kind of arts and, and entertainment, those, those are kind of things. But, but I think... To some level, we all know what that experience is like. So we need, we need Debras. We need Debras who are going to stand up with us, who are going to 
to engage for us and, and are, are going to, to be those allies that, that we can count on. You know, Barak is called, is, is told by Deborah that God has promised to deliver the people and that he's the military leader that God's going to use, but he won't engage the fight until Deborah stands up with him. He says, I will go if you'll go with me. I will go if you will be that, to, to pull on him, that superhero that I know who's standing up beside me, who, who has my back. And we need those kind of people in our lives because here's the, the, the danger of, the, of those who will attack us and those who will criticize us and those who will wait for us to fail. They make us scared. They, make us, they scare us because we stand at the brink of opportunity and we become fearful because what if we are criticized? What if people don't like what we're doing? Or even worse, what if we fail? What if we fall short? And we hear those voices and we, we anticipate that pain and it forces us to step back. And we need... Deborah's that will stand up with us, that will encourage us to not retreat, but to engage. Because I'll tell you, there, there's two things that, that sometimes keep me up at night. This is just kind of my moment of, of, um, of self-disclosure. I, I, I worry sometimes about failure. I worry about not being good enough, not, not leading well, not um, being, quote-unquote, successful however we want to engage or define that. But I'll tell you the other thing that scares me, probably more, not seeing the opportunities, not taking the opportunities that God has given and engaging them because of a fearful heart. I think I am far more afraid, if you will, of standing before God one day and having God say, oh, Chris, it was right there. I, I called you into it. I set you up for it. It was right there. And you got scared. And you backed off. That's when I need Deborah's to stand there and say, engage, step forward. I need that person in my life to give me courage. And so do you. That's what Deborah's do. And this is how Deborah's encourages. One, Deborah's will fight right beside us. They will stand up with us and they will say, I am right here in the middle of the, the, the engagement, whatever the engagement may be. Some of the most powerful words I ever hear in ministry are when some of you come up to me and I've heard these words verbatim and will say, you know, in this initiative, in this ministry, in this outreach, in this challenge, will say, I got your back. I guess usually guys, that's more of a, a thing that, that guys say to each other. But, but I, I receive it in a variety of ways, but, but I've got your back. And what I receive there is we're standing with you. We're standing together. We're going to, to protect each other as we engage and we have the courage to, to do what we believe that God has called us to do. I got your back. And I am thankful for those Debras because very often I'll hear those words when I'm getting ready to step back from that ledge. I'm getting ready to step back from that engagement because I start to get cold feet. And then I hear, I got your back. 
And I hear God saying, you're stepping the wrong way. So, so Deborah's stand with us in the battle. But Deborah's also sometimes cover us from a distance. Deborah's don't always have to be the people that are right there with us. They're the people that are covering you in prayer. They're the people that you know are supporting you in whatever way that they possibly can. They may not be in the middle of the battle. We don't even know that Deborah fought beside Barak. But we knew Barak knew she was with him. And that gave him courage. And you have people with you, and, and I have people with me that I know are praying for me, that are encouraging me, that are, that are um, wanting the best for me. And you do too. Those are your Debras. Those are your Debras. They, they may be from a distance. This week, I got two emails, group emails, from friends who were reaching out and saying, you know what, I'm going through, they're, they're in ministry, but they were sharing some of the tough things that they're having to deal with in their ministry, some of the challenges. And they were seeking prayers. And they were reaching out to this group, this covenant group that we have together, because they knew that what we do for each other, from a distance, one is in Texas, one was in Illinois, is we Deborah each other. We, we pray for each other. We, we do our best to strengthen and encourage and bolster each other. And, and we only see each other a few times a year. So it doesn't always have to be the person who's standing beside you. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's the person who's at the distance covering you in their prayers. Those are your Debras. Those are your Debras. And this is why they're important. Debras protect our blind side. If you're a football fan, you know that a right-handed quarterback the most important position on the field, I think, for a right-handed quarterback is the person who plays the left offensive tackle. That's the person who is over here blocking. And this is why. Because when a quarterback drops back to pass and he goes to throw this way, he can see this side of the field very easily. But there's one place he doesn't see so good. None of us see so good. It's behind us. And you don't want to get hit from behind when you play football. That hurts bad. And so the blind side, and if it's a left-handed quarterback, it's the other way. But you need people that are good at protecting your blind side. The things I, one of, <laughs> I don't know why I say one of my favorite pictures, but there was when I played high school football, I primarily played defense, but I would rotate in on the offensive line. At the end of the year, my junior year, I remember going into the, the, the yearbook room where they had taken all the pictures for the year and they'd put the yearbook together and they would sell pictures that they hadn't used. And so they'd go out to the football games and they'd take a lot of pictures and a few would get in the yearbook. And there's this picture. Bobby Fox was our quarterback. Bobby was a good friend of mine. We were playing Tampa Robinson. And there's this picture of Bobby, right-handed quarterback, and he is about to get just crushed. I mean, not one step behind him is this big defensive end uh, that played for Tampa Robinson, and he's about to split him in half. This is why I remember the picture. In the background is the picture of the left tackle on the ground looking up, watching his quarterback about to get killed because he didn't protect the blind side. I'll give you two guesses who the left tackle was. <laughs> <laughs> it's me, wide-eyed. I'd gotten killed by this guy. And there I am just watching my quarterback about. And fortunately, that didn't go in the yearbook. Um, 
But when our blind side isn't protected, when we don't have people who are our advocates, our protectors, we can sometimes really get hurt figuratively, spiritually, emotionally. We need those kind of people that we know, like Deborah, that are going to say, I'm going to stand with you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to protect you. And that seek to protect us um, from those attacks of others. But here's the other thing. Deborah sometimes protect us from ourselves. You see, and, and this isn't, Deborahs don't always, um, they're not cheerleaders in the sense that they're going to um, endorse everything you want to do. Deborahs sometimes help us see things differently and help us to, to have an awareness that we may otherwise not have had, and they'll sometimes protect us from ourselves. Again, from my own life. I was 27 years old when I was appointed to Community United Methodist Church in Oldsmar as their pastor. When I went there, they were halfway through a sanctuary build. They were building a brand new sanctuary. The congregation was about 150 people. Two services, an 8, 8.30 I guess, an 8.30 and 11. And we were moving in a few months' time into this new sanctuary that sat about 300 people. And as a, a young, naive, 27-year-old pastor, I thought, well, both services were pretty much the same. I thought it makes no sense if we're a congregation of 150 and we can all fit in one space to have two services. And so I thought, we will just combine. We will take the 830 and we will take the 11 and we'll make one 10 o'clock service. Fortunately, I was smart enough to talk to some Debras. One of the Debras happened to go by the name of Dad. I don't know how that sounds, Deborah, but, and I called him up, and I'll never forget, and I said, Dad, you know, this is what I'm thinking about trying to do, and he said, that is a terrible idea, I said, why, and, and he said, apparently, you ate 15 people like your ate 15 time, and the 11 o'clock, he said, he just said, if you try to combine, you're going to lose people, people are they're creatures of habit. They like the rhythms of their experiences in their worship. And he said, trying to, to take that away is going to do more harm than good. And he was right. And I'm very, very thankful. And we didn't do that. And we stayed the course. And, and the church grew. And, and the Lord blessed it. It wasn't necessarily that it was a horrible idea in its concept. But it, 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 there was just things I didn't see. There was things I didn't know. There was experience I hadn't had. And he protected me from what could have been a bad decision, not a catastrophic decision, but, but not a decision that was in the best interest of the church. Debras do that for us. Sometimes they protect us from ourselves. So we need Debras. I, I hope you have Debras in your life that you know that are in that inner circle that have your back, that are going to protect you, and they're going to encourage you, and they're going to strengthen you, and they're going to support you. We need to have and be Debras, just like we need Nathan's to hold us accountable, Jonathan's to be true friends, Jethro's to push us into our mission field, Timothy's to be an heir, Barab Barnabas to be an encourager, Deborah to be a back cover. I hope these are the kind of people you have in your life. And if you don't, be prayerful that the Lord will open your eyes to the way that you can develop those kind of relationships and that you can be that kind of person for others. These are the, the gifts that God gives us. These are the relationships that model who Christ is for us. And so be intentional in your relationships. Be intentional in your conversations. 
be intentional in thanking God for the gifts that He gives in and through the people that He has placed in your life. Let us pray. Merciful God, thank you for um, relationships, for community, for friendships, and, and journey partners in this walk of life. And um, thank you for our Deborahs who give us courage and give us strength and, and protect and cover our backs. Uh, because life can be hard. But we thank you that you see our need even before we do. And you are always working to meet that need. May we see it, nurture it, and be thankful for it. In Christ we pray.